And, and sometimes we have to step back and remember, it's a life claim. We're talking to a beneficiary, someone who's just had the worst thing in their life happen to them, which is mm-hmm. the loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. But we cannot continue to interject our desire or need to understand the process in the middle of what is one of the hardest things they're ever going to have to do. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast is all about empowering leaders to achieve sustainable growth by consistently delighting your customers. We give you practical tips, proven frameworks, and share ways to help you delight your customers. Well, I am so, so very excited for a special guest I have on the show today. She has quite an incredible history, uh, especially in the world of voice of the customer. For those of you who may be unfamiliar, voice of the customer is how we listen, uh, how we listen to our customers could be through surveys, focus groups, roundtables. However, we listen to customers, there's usually a strategy around that. And um, there are systems that can help, software that can help. And my guest today has been uh, really, I can't think of a a better background to have if someone was going to be an expert in voice of the customer. She worked at what was that metrics at the time. I guess it's nice now. Um, Allegiance, Confirm It. These are some of the the big companies in the in the area of voice of the customer as a, on the provider side. And now she's working for inside of a company, not just any company, but The Rock, uh, Prudential, uh, Financial, which I'm sure everybody in the, in the audience ha- is familiar with. It's a 140-year-old company, over 25,000 employees. Uh, so voice of the customer is not just a thing, but it's part of the overall CX strategy. And so I am just incredibly excited to welcome my guest today, Stacey Neville. Thank you, Mark. It is great to be here and great to be talking to you about um, one of uh, the loves that we both share is uh, customer experience and voice of the customer. Well, and and I'm I'm excited. Uh, Stacy and I also uh, serve together on the board of directors of the CXPA. She is a, a certified customer experience professional, on top of all the other things I mentioned. And what's interesting is today we're not going to be talking and deep diving deep into voice of the customer uh, as you might expect we would. However, what we are going to talk about is the employee experience and how important it is and why it's important. And how it relates, and maybe some ideas around how um, those people interested in delivering or delighting their customers can incorporate it, embed it into the to the organization's culture, so that it can drive the uh, remarkable, outstanding experiences for their customers. So, Stacy, um, I just I'm going to start uh, by asking you not. Not too many people work at a company that's 140 years old that that has over 25,000 employees in in the United States, in Asia, Latin America. I mean, really globally. Um, what do you love most about working for Prudential Financial? Oh goodness, um, I do a few things. One, I think there was a pride in in that history. 
Um, there are times that I that I'm reminded, you know, how do we got our start? Um, you know, when you first join a company or anywhere, and you, you kind of hear about the history. I worked for a lot of startups. I worked for a lot of companies that have been around, you know, five maybe ten years, and and there's you know a lot of excitement um, in that type of company. But then switching gears and coming to a company that has such rich history that got its start helping. Um, you know, the everyday man or the working man, uh, working working families, working class families um, provide um, death benefits so that they wouldn't have to go um, in, you know, into um, foreclosure or lose everything if they lost the, the patriarch of the family, et cetera. I mean, that's really how Prudential got their start. So there's a pride in um, probably that customer experience or that desire to help the everyday person um, that's, that started this company. Um, yes, we are the rock. Yes, we are very old. We are global now. But the, the way that they got started um, is, is inspiring. Um, and it's great to work for a company like that. And I think um, the other piece of it is I came back to work on the client side um, of this side of the business because I really wanted to be able to see um, our our initiatives or the, the feedback through. I wanted to be able to, to understand what people are saying, figure out what we were going to do about it, and then actually see the impact. And there are times that on the vendor side of the business, you can't always see the impact. You can't see the impact to the end customer um, or, you know, where, where it's really going to, you know, where that rubber hits the road, why you're doing this. And I think that was a great return to, you know, why we all do this. And um, that's probably the two things that really stand out to me is, you know, what I really love about um, where I work and where I am. Well, and Stacey, you got started in the world of, of CX a lot sooner than, than most of us did um, really. And, and kind of tracked in this voice of the customer area and analysis and customer feedback and all what drew, what actually drew you into the profession? Um, interesting story. Um, so I think I've always had a, a passion for um, treating the customer better or treating the customer right, you know, quotation marks around that. Um, and so, um, as you mentioned, I started my career in banking. So I started my career on the um, the client side of the business, but I actually was a banker um, in branches. Um, and what it felt like to me at the time is that we treated customers as if they were an inconvenience. Um, you know, were they, we, we, on our hours, um, uh, the three inches of hazy plexiglass between us and the customer, the rules that made you prove as a customer, you were who you said you were, um, just to be able to get any of your money out. Um, it really felt like the everyday person was potentially treated as a, almost a, a potential criminal before, you know, mm. but before we proved that you were just a regular customer, um, and apparently, I was quite vocal <laughs> in my first several months, um, breaking probably every rule about joining a management training program. But I was very vocal about how we treated or what, in my eyes, mistreated our customer. Um, and I was lucky enough to get invited to join a new team um, that was just forming, that had just formed um, to collect and analyze uh, customer feedback. Like, we're going to start this new thing called surveying. And... Um, at the, at the branch level, and I was invited to join this new team. So that was basically a less than a year after I you know, graduated college. And I kind of joined this team and have never looked back. Well, it's interesting you say that. We, we both share a background in, in banking, the world of banking. Um, and, you know, I think about you, you were, were you in New York City at the time? I was, I was. Mid-90s, so, New York City. <laughs> in New York City, mid So I'm just wondering... Like now you've had 
20 plus years to reflect on your experience there. And I'm curious about how does that happen? How? Because my guess is that the executives of the bank are, ima- are not imagining that at the front line, the people that, that are being served by their employees are, um, are going to feel like criminals or, or they're, they're a pain. Um, so what do you think might have been the disconnect? That, and, and it's not just this bank or that large bank, or whatever. It, it happens all the time. But what do you think in, in this case might have been the disconnect? I, I think it's a lot of things, but I think it probably starts off with some of the rules and regulations that, that are forced upon us, the, mm-hmm. the rules of business, the rules of work. And we don't necessarily, you know, especially in financial organizations, we have this here in insurance and, and, and being a financial entity now, um, we are always trying to mitigate risk. We're always trying to keep, you know, our employees safe, our customers safe, our, our businesses safe. Um, so the money we protect safe. And I think those types of rules and regulations, um, one after the other, you know, they're, they're put in for a reason. But ultimately, when you start adding them all up together and you, you, you lay them on top of the process, um, they come out feeling um, a little impersonal. So, and we can get, you know, a little rote in our, in our everyday lives, right? And, our, you know, I'm going to walk through this process, this function, this process, this function, this process, this function. We sometimes forget that there's a person on the end of that process, this function, or why we're here. Um, maybe, maybe I'm not here to just sell a bank account. Maybe I'm not here to just cash a check. Maybe I'm actually here, and this, you know, probably in, in decades later, I learned this more about customer journey mapping. Maybe I'm here to give you the money to buy your first car. Maybe I'm here to um, let you cast that check so you can go buy the crib for the baby you're expecting. Like there are reasons people come to the bank and get money out or put money in, and they are, none of those reasons are to just store it in our bank. <laughs> so. I think when we can connect the person to it, that's how we remember that these processes have a reason. And I do think that we get there because we um, have been forced to, we need to overlay these regulations and these rules and these processes um, on top of the business of taking care of our customers. And sometimes that gets in the way. You know, it's such a good point. I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about it metaphorically as, as a drift, like, a boat is is um, is connected to the pier, yeah. and and it stays there. And at some point, someone loosens that rope. And I'm not a boater, so forgive me. I'm, I'm there's probably real terms for these things, and it starts to drift ashore, and you lose focus on where you started. Which I, I would imagine in, in that scenario, the executive team has in its mind that they're going to be. The customer customer experience or customer first is something. I mean, really, what bank doesn't say that as part of their mantra in one form or not form or another? But heavily heavily regulated industries like banking, and it's not just banking; it's whatever no. industry and whatever else can cause you to lose that drift. You know, and that I think is it's not intentional, it's not mean spirited, but it does prove that there is a balance of tension between. The powers that pull against the customer experience, i.e., regulation, security, security is a big one, passwords, yes. um, passwords, log on information, um, that gets in the way of things like ease and effort that are so critical to driving loyalty in customers. And it's that tension. Do, do you agree? I absolutely agree. Um, and sometimes we don't design the processes that 
will keep us secure, keep us safe, um, that are for our customers' benefit even. You know, ours and our customers, we don't design them thinking about the customer experience. And I think to your point, that's why we have to be very intentional. Or, you know, there are folks in the company like us who have to be very intentional about, yes, but how does that impact the customer? Yes, but how does that impact the customer experience? Um, Is there a less invasive way of doing that? So if we can stop and ask the question, um, you know, for example, Prudential sells lots of products. One of them is life insurance. So we have, what I love is that we have this this desire to know and understand what our customers are thinking, feeling, saying um, through processes. So um, we have a lot of requests for feedback, a lot of requests for information. We really want to know, you know, at every stage of a, of a life claim, how it's going. And, and sometimes we have to step back and remember, it's a life claim. We're talking to a beneficiary, someone who's just had the worst thing in their life happen to them, which is the mm-hmm. loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. We cannot interrupt that process multiple times. Maybe not, they might not even answer us once, but we cannot continue to interject our desire or need to understand the process in the middle of what is one of the hardest things they're ever going to have to do. At the end of the day, there's a customer or a beneficiary here who has to do something they don't want to do. They don't want to be talking to us. Hmm. So I can, and not because we're bad or we're evil or there's something mm-hmm. wrong with us, because that means something bad happened on their end. And so we have to remember that in the process and say, I get that we want to score a metric, a feedback of this, um, but let's weigh that with the customer experience. Let's weigh that with the beneficiary experience, with what they're going through in their life to really understand how important is is it for us to get this versus how important is it for them to get through this process as simply, as easily, as painlessly as possible so that they can continue with their grieving process and then their life. Um, It's really, you know, we are not in that hierarchy of needs for them. So I I think to your point, we've just got to make sure that we keep interjecting that. And the more people we have in the organization who understand customer experience. So, you know, we, we, we can't be that person. That's why you create champions. That's why um, you reach out to your employees. That's why you make sure you hire for a customer experience mindset as opposed to try to train for it. Um, because then you have more people that stand up and ask those questions that say, yes, that sounds great, but um, how does this impact the customer? And these are all things that in and of themselves can appear to go directly against providing an easy, um, an easy, effortless, you know, experience for the customer. Yeah. Now, I want to just, I just want to add a thought to that and get your reaction to that is what you described and your and Prudential, the stakes are really high because what we're talking about here literally is life and death. Right. And, and so it's a great illustration of if you're thinking about the customer experience and you're thinking about it is I made it, e- I made it easy. I helped the customer get what they wanted to get. They were, were successful at it and it was quick, right? Then you are missing something really important and that's the emotional connection. Am I right? What do you think? That's entirely true. That's entirely possible. We've got to make sure that we care for that. We've got to make sure that, um, you know, in some ways that we make sure that all of those options are in the room when decisions are being made, that that all of those considerations um, are in the room. I think historically in business, and it's not just 
banking or financial services or insurance, um, we we tend to leave those types of decisions to like technology decisions stay in techno- technology, um, regulatory, legal, et cetera, those decisions stay there. Um, you know, at those highest levels. And I think we've got to make sure that, you know, remember when I was in my, um, on the vendor side of the business, what we would even recommend is when you're building a new program, invite your legal, your human resources, invite your partners in to yes. those meetings early so that yes. they can be part of the conversation and make sure we don't misstep early. Um, invite technology in so they know that we're going to have to come up with particular files or be able to access things, invite HR or communications or a regulatory in so they can say, oh, no, we can't say that, or we can't talk about that way, or that must be trademarked, et cetera. Those types of conversations. I think the same thing has to happen on the other end. When those decisions are being made, are you inviting a customer experience and potentially employee experience type of individual, someone who can who can speak to that in those rooms as those those decisions are being made? As you're prioritizing the initiatives and the money spend and um, you know revenue allocations and things like that across the organization, are or do we have representation for the customer and the employee in that room to say, um, are they cared for? Um, is their experience, emotional and otherwise, cared for in these types of settings? Or did we forget something? Did, did we inadvertently, like I said, it's not purposeful, but did we inadvertently forget to care for the ultimate experience that we're trying to create? Mm-hmm. So, so what I hear you saying is it's, it's a collaborative approach that should include all sides in the room. Absolutely. We should understand them, as I mentioned, you know, they have a job to do. Absolutely. And, and, but, but somebody's got to advocate for the person or people not in the room, the customer. And, and, and if you don't have a function, I mean, that's part of the reason why I think both of us are serving on the CXPA board is there should be a dedicated function within an organization that advocates for the customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, our ultimate goal is that it's not to, to make ourselves obsolete, but um, how do we kind of give that that learning, that that attitude to everyone within an organization? How how can everyone have a little bit of the CX function in what they do? I mean, as as a representative of a financial institution, I have to think about our regulatory practices. I have to think about keeping us safe. Um, risk smart things like that. I've got I've got to make sure you know that I keep the the company's best interest at heart. While I'm also caring for the customer, I think we want that same thing from those individuals um, to start thinking about the customer a little bit. But I think we get that when we interact more together. Mm. Well said. Well said. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the employee experience. And if it's a term you're not familiar with, um, we're going to shed some light on that. Stacy will and share with us some ideas she has about how it connects to the customer experience and why it's just so critical. You are listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. I'm Mark Slayton, your host. And if you're just starting out on your CX journey and need help with a CX strategy, I know it can be tough. Maybe you've been on your journey and just need help getting to the next level. I've walked the walk as a CX practitioner, and I know the real world challenges you're facing. I'd love to come alongside you and put our heads together and jointly define the problem that needs solving. Let's have a live conversation. You can reach me at empoweredcx.com.
Well, we are back. And again, my guest is Stacy Neville from Prudential Financial. We've been talking a lot about the importance of the CX function, the importance of balancing the tension between the needs of the organization to be safe and secure, but also not forget about the importance of the customer experience and how we can advocate for the customer. And we've kind of hinted, Stacy has hinted um, on throughout our conversation about engaging employees and why employees are important in different ways we bring people into the tent, so to speak, with us. We're really talking about more than that. Um, so, so tell us about what you think the importance of the employee experience is and its connection to the customer experience. Um. I think from a from a CX perspective, and if I'm speaking to any of our CX professionals, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Um, but when it comes to the employee experience and customer experience, um, we all know that without a good employee experience, with a solid um, employee experience, you um, you're going to get you know moderated best customer experience. I mean, quite frankly, either that or you're going to have you know stellar one that's very short lived. You cannot have a long-term, sustained, great customer experience if you're not caring for your employee. Um, because ultimately, we cannot treat our employees badly. We cannot give, not give them the tools, the techniques, the training um, that they need, the support that they need, um, and then expect them to deliver every day, day in, day out for our customers um, that they need um, the training. They need support. They need to know that their management has their back. They need to know um, that their opinions are valued. Um, all of those things become important, just, you know, the kind of human nature. Um, all of those things become important if we expect that workforce, that piece of our workforce to deliver like, as much as we want them to deliver for our end customers. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's critical that I heard someone say, you don't have happy employees, you don't have happy customers. Exactly. Right. Um, so why do you think it's not included as part of a CX strategy? I think that it's not for a couple of reasons. One, I think that, you know, we all start with the, with, with a, a VOC program or a, a metric, you know, what you often hear is, you know, I need a net promoter score. I need a overall satisfaction score. Like I need to, I need that metric. I need that score. So it's still about the number. We don't think about the whole program. Um, we think about getting the score and then maybe it grows, you know, iteratively from there, your program may grow iteratively from there, not necessarily thinking about a program um, and a programmatic approach that says, how do I engage people along the way? Um, I think the other challenge, um, you know, similar to how we talked about some of the challenges with security and finance and legal, et cetera, for the other part of the organization, I think there's a little bit of a turf war that has existed for a little while between maybe your your marketing, your CX organization, um, and um, anything that has to do with the employee and human resources. So, you know, and I went in my experience, in my career, um, there have been a couple of times that we've tried to touch on the employee experience. Um, either linking the two or employee engagement. And um, there's been a struggle to say, oh, that's mine. You know, HR, the employees are mine. You can't talk to them or you can't get feedback from them or, you know, you can't ask them, you know, voice the customer through the employee because we're going to do employee engagement. And it's going to be completely different. And it's over here. And you can't have that data either. <laughs> mm. So um, I think there's a little bit of a turf war, but I think that, um, 
that's probably, I think, is the, is the key issue. And I think they're also, the other challenge that I've seen is even with our frontline management, um, and not because they're, they don't believe in this experience or the employee experience, but because our frontline employees, employees are busy. Mm-hmm. Um, think of a contact center, you know, think of tellers in a branch. Um, when they are on, they are on. They, they don't have downtime in the back. They don't have downtime at their computers. Um, they are on. They are answering calls. They are taking people at the, you know, at, at their teller stations. They are on when they're on. If they're in the store. They're on. They're always on for customers at any point in time. So they don't have all this incredible downtime to reflect to give us feedback. Um, So I think that their management tends to be um, protective and in some level they should be protective, but they tend to be protective of their time. So trying to to put initiatives and things. So, you know, similarly, it's not, it's not, they're not trying to stall or stop um, the employee engagement experience um, or connecting employees to the customer experience, but everyone has a job to do. And sometimes they don't see how that connection exists. Yeah. I mean, it kind of re- reminds me a little bit of I'm driving down the road. I don't have time to patch the slow leak in my tire. Um, and, and then and then at some point, you know, you have a blowout or you're you're on the side of the road with the flat tire. Uh, much the same way is and, and I get it. I mean, when you have a call center and you have wait times that are way above normal, abandoned rates, you're in a branch, you're down a person. Um, yeah, there are real life challenges, um, at the same time, at the front line, at the same time, um, some of the things we're talking about are strategic in the sense, I think that, um, you, you know, you, you go upstream to try and address some of the issues and you provide, we, we just talked earlier about, I love your illustration about, you know, the beneficiary of a death claim. This is, this is a highly emotional time for one of your Prudential's customers. And the way that they get treated at that moment of truth is just so critical as it relates to the loyalty you, you build. And that's, that has to be part of the development, the training, the awareness, and the, and the empathy, right? What, what are your thoughts about that? Absolutely. I think, and, and I'll add one to your list, hiring. You, we have to hire for those skill sets. We have to hire, you know, it's not necessarily hiring for, you know, the, the ability to follow rules and regulations. You, you have to hire empathetic. You have to hire, um, desi- you know, willingness and desire to listen and hear and, and, and yes, have a work ethic, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but we have to not just train for it. We have to hire for it. And then there's an element of making sure that we're providing what we need to provide as the entity that they're working for to accomplish their jobs. We can't, you can hire the best individual with the best of intentions and the best skill sets. Um, but if their technology doesn't work mm. or they were never trained properly, um, you know, there's nothing we can do they, you know, there's, they are then their hands are tied. So they can't deliver the, the stellar customer service they want to provide um, with you know, broken down technology or something of that nature. Um, I think um, that experience is, is so tied. Um, as you know, um, one of my experiences, uh, we were talking about, you know, all the, 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 the teller experience, another experience I had for about a year, year and a half in my career, um, I took a slight detour from um, customer experience. I worked for a utility company mm. um, 
working in directly in within the HR department. Um, originally, we thought that my job was going to be as a consultant, but as my job was going to be more around kind of upskilling and um, building a, like a, a, a trainee program and bringing in, um, uh, you know, great um, levels of, you know, MBA students and things like that. Mm. And then we quickly realized after, shortly after I got there that we had a culture issue hmm. within the organization. Um, the, the, the staff across the company, but especially at our front line, so the utility company, our linemen, the line offices, et cetera, they were ex- like completely disconnected hmm. um, from their corporate and executive staff. They were disconnected in how they approached work. They were disconnected in what they valued in work. They were disconnected in um, communications. And there was no way we were going to push anything through middle management or and you know or, or, or our, our um, linemen and line staff because they did there was a complete sense of mistrust mm. of the entire corporate structure. So we we did an about face and we spent about a year doing basically an, an in-person employee experience survey, more or less, yeah. where we traveled to every office, got, got employee feedback from literally everyone in the company that was willing to give it to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met with management, we went with linemen, we met with, we traveled and we went and talked to everybody um, to make sure that their voices were heard. Mm-hmm. And then use that to make recommendations back to um, our executive staff. Um, and the, the, the whole, the whole purpose in that was one, to identify the issues with the culture, but also to help re- rebuild the culture and rebuild the trust between the two pieces of the company, the two parts of the organization. They really were divided in two. And I think that was, you know, it, it ultimately became that without the voice of the customer or the voice of the employee, without understanding what their issues were, what their engagement was like, um, what they were experiencing. And some of them were experiencing some very um, even dangerous um situations, uh, whether it be they didn't have the proper equipment or, you know, they're, they're out encountering, you know, snakes in the road, didn't have the proper equipment to be able to climb that pole and deal with whatever, or the weather conditions, or didn't have the proper support for management, et cetera. Didn't have um, enough, weren't hiring enough to be able to backfill positions. Therefore, there's a lot of overtime and, and, you know, we talk about regulatory, they have OSHA constraints and OSHA issues um, with regards to um, injuries at work. Mm-hmm. All of these became issues and disconnects. So once we were able to to do that, really hear that voice of the customer, it began to have an impact on how they interacted with their customers and their management. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it was just a testament to um, sometimes you've got to take those drastic measures with for your employees. Yeah. To make sure that you can ultimately deliver. What a, what a great story! Thanks for uh, taking that little detour. Uh, in your career and sharing this story about the linemen and, and the disconnect. And I think what I hear you saying is there's so much to unpack from what you just said. So one of the things I heard is that treat the employee experience in terms of the intentionality um, the same way you're approaching the customer experience. Yeah. That is, you know, an intentional way to listen, listen to them different ways on ways that they they can voice their opinions. Um enlist that, encourage it, um, and then respond to it, you know, absolutely. when you hear it. So it's part of the strategy is, is the listening to the employees and understanding back to what we said earlier, unhappy employees make for unhappy customers. You know, there's, there's studies that were done that just 
connect those two things. Um, and, um, and then I heard also, like, are you making sure that you have the right, they are equipped with the right tools to do their job, right? And then I also heard you said, and this may be a more fundamental uh, thing that I heard you say, which was, are they connected to your purpose? Are they yeah. in alignment with the mission that you have as an organization? At the top, Stacy, you mentioned, you know, you think of Prudential as this sort of ubiquitous, huge, old, I have two girls in Boston. So this huge building that you see with the circle on top and it's part of the Boston skyline, you know, it's this entity. Well, wait a minute. Actually, it actually is a way for number one, the average working person to be able to accrue financial wealth over time and also to have protection in, in the event of some tragedy. Wow, that's a mission. That's a purpose. It's easy to lose exactly. sight of that, isn't it? It is. It is. But we've got to remember why we're here every day. Um, what 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 we're doing. Um, it's not, I'm not here to shove paper from one side of the desk to the other. We're trying to make lives better. We're trying to make financial wellness better. We're trying to, you know, help individual families um, prepare for their futures. The good stuff and, you know, perhaps the bad stuff, but, you know, absolutely. That's what's inspiring about what we do every day. And, and just to follow on that thought is that's up to leadership because people forget, you know, there's that I've heard there's a sh- culture and then there's a shadow culture and the shadow culture is what people mm-hmm really do and see the actual culture. The culture might be what what leadership states on a statement of what they'd like Absolutely. the culture to be, right? Right. And if that culture that's on the piece of paper or on the website yeah. is not lived, felt, shared um, in the principles every day, then it's not really the culture. Um, I went to a conference uh, a few months ago, and one of the questions one of the keynote speakers was asking was, you know, can your employees recite, I mean, down to the front line, can they recite your, your, your mission, mm. your vision? What it, and, and I don't mean word for word, right. but generally speaking, do, can they talk about why do they do what they do? Why does this company exist? Can they reiterate what it means to them? And does it align with what, you, what the written mission and vision is? Um, and if they can't, then, then we did something wrong, right? We're not, we're not living and breathing and sharing um, why we're here and why we do what we do every day. Well, well said, well said. Well, I would love for you, if you don't mind, start to think, I'd love to share practical tips and advice for people sure. uh, who are listening and who may be practitioners or they may be leadership in an organization. They're saying, how can I improve my client experience? Today, we're talking about through the employee experience, and um, I know there's probably over, over the years, there's programs, initiatives, you mentioned champions earlier, you know, what are some ways, and you kind of alluded to the fact that how do we make this part of the day-to-day? How do we embed, you know, an employee experience, or an outstanding employee experience into our culture? What's, what's one practical thing that, that, that a leader can do? Um, I think, um, Aside from, you know, we, we're, we live in the world of surveying, right? So we're always looking for feedback, but there are lots of ways to get that feedback. And I think as, as a manager of people, especially a manager of, of frontline people, mm. I think that it is imperative. It is our job to keep a pulse on how our teams are doing from that perspective. What are, how do they feel? And then also, what are they hearing, especially from a frontline perspective? So let's get their feedback about um, how is it? 
for you doing your job, whether that is formal feedback or, or, or informal mm-hmm. feedback. Um, let's make sure that we're checking in on that. That we're not just always talking to our our employees or teams or people about you know what they did right or what they did wrong from a work perspective. Right. But let's get their feedback on how is this going for you. Um, are we giving you what you need, et cetera? And not just that once a year you know survey that we sent that, that HR sends out. Um, let's make sure we check in on that. But let's also make sure we check in on. What are you hearing and seeing on behalf of your customers? Because um, our, especially our frontline employees, they have a wealth of knowledge about what goes on every day. Unfortunately, many of us just don't ask them. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's a very easy way to get feedback about um, biggest pain points. What's happening to your customers every day? What are they calling in about? What are, you know, maybe it's even some, this is happening right now, um, but I'm seeing it happen over and over and over again. Um, it's a good way to surface the challenges and the problems and maybe even get them fixed before they become um, huge. And you do a couple of things with that. You, um, one, can get in front of some issues and challenges. You can better understand what's going on. You can find better ways to support your employee for your, your, your workforce. But you create value in that person that you asked for that feedback from. You let them know that their opinion, what's happening to them, what they see every day matters to you and therefore hopefully matters to someone else. Um, And that's one of the things we all want at work. We want that level of recognition. So if I feel valued and I feel recognized and I feel um, that what I'm doing makes a difference ultimately, I can be closer to the mission, the vision, the value of this organization. I can know that I'm doing something that supports that. Um, I see my worth. I see my value. So I think those are all things that are critically important. I think that that's something that whether you formalize that program or you keep it informal, um, something that we all can do. Um, And I don't think you need a team to do that either. I think you can do that with any coworkers. Um, I think think that's something we all can do and make sure that we are valuing um, the experiences that we're all having. Yeah, so so important, um, and I really appreciate what you said. Is that it's as simple too. We're not talking about things that cost millions of dollars to implement. Right. We're talking about how easy it could be to miss uh, the the listening that can happen either in a team meeting or a one on one that that happens between these big surveys that happen once a year. Um, and and what a great way to to kind of keep the pulse of the employee, right? Absolutely. Um, I, what I will say is, because I'm in the business of formalizing such types of programs, that if you want to take that up a notch or two or three, um, formalize it. Uh, find a way to have that as non-invasively as possible, collect that feedback. Find a way to not have that employee engagement survey only happen once a year. Mm. Figure out a way to, to check in, to get pulses, et cetera. So where possible, do formalize it so that that feedback can travel up the chain and people can see it. But my point originally is that you don't need a formal program to create that value and that worth. Um, But I'd say, you know, one thing you can do is absolutely formalize it. And I think the other thing that I suggest is that I've seen this work um, different ways um, and sometimes, you know, not as well as we, as we wanted it to, um, but find a partnership between your, CX organization, your VOC organization, and HR. Um, see if you can work on that. That you know, so between marketing and and human resources, there there could be a definite partnership, especially in how you get the word out um, and how you talk about 
and engage employees. I mean, our human resources partners have a lot of information about how to best engage the workforce. And if we can partner on that, as opposed to us doing our thing and they do their thing, um, it just makes for a much more cohesive experience. Yeah, what a, what a great um, point. We talked earlier about bringing everyone into the tent and clearly HR has to be, if we're talking about the employee experience, uh, just so important. If you, do, if you don't have an employee experience committee, it might be something you want to think about forming and, um, and thinking about initiatives that you can put into place um, that can help in, in, with employee engagement based on all this feedback. And I do want to, I do want to um, ask you for your thoughts about what to do. I 100% agree. And I think it's a great piece of advice is to do, you know, all these different listening posts, if you will, for your employees. And then like, what are some of the mistakes that companies do who actually go to that, that level and listen, what, 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 what are, what's some advice you have there? Oh, the biggest mistake is ask for the feedback and don't do anything about it. That's in the, that's mm. the, probably the biggest mistake. And this happens on the customer side as well as the employee side, but especially on the employee side, mm. they are a captive audience. Mm. If I bothered to ask you, the least I can do is tell you what I heard and what I'm going to do about it. And, you know, as employees, we, we also understand that, Hey, I heard this. Mm. I know this is a challenge and a problem, Right now, that's here on the priority list, or we don't have the funds to fix that one right now, but we're going to do this. Like there, we, we, we understand that we know that it is not an infinite pot <laughs> that we can all pull from. Yeah. Um, but we've got to make sure that when, when our employee force tells us something, we come back to them with some information because why would they tell you again? What, it breaks down trust. It breaks down um, uh, communications, it, it just brereaks down the, the chain that you're in, in the relationship that you're trying to create internally and the culture, quite frankly, that has a huge impact on the culture of an organization. If I don't trust my leadership or I don't trust that what they say is going to happen, or I don't trust why you asked me for my opinion, um, then I won't give it again. So I think that the, the biggest issue, the biggest challenge is you ask for feedback and don't do anything with it. And by the way, when you ask for feedback of your customers and you still don't do anything with it, your employees are watching. Hmm. They know that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sending a message there as well. Yeah. They know that happened. Um, they're always watching. It's, you know, not, not to liken myself as an employee to being a child, but you know, we say our children are watching and listening. Right. Um, we learn from behaviors that we see, um, not just what we hear, not just what you tell us. And, uh, um, they're all watching, um, and especially our front line. So um, we've got to make sure that we're we're honoring um, the feedback that we get. One of my favorite statements is uh, feedback is a gift. And whether it's internal or external, feedback is a gift treated as such. Yeah, feedback is a gift. It, it, thank you for sharing that. Now, I heard what you said is, you know, we we need to follow up on what we hear one way or another. And and also heard you said, we can't be all things to all people. So everybody has wants. We can't, we can't make everybody's wants happen, but we can at least say we're addressing them. And by the way, be transparent enough to say, here's what we heard. Um, yes. Obviously you want to keep confidentiality as a, as a primary core value, but you can still communicate Absolutely. this. And to your point earlier, when you shared the story about the misalignment between the leadership at this utility company and the line workers, um, you know, 
there's both an opportunity to erode trust by asking and not following up or build trust mm-hmm. by asking and then following up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's the key, I think, is, you know, we're all asking for feedback. It's, you know, it's up to us what we do with it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let me, let me turn, uh, turn the conversation to something on a little more personal level. Um, which I like to do from time to time with guests. And that is to say, uh, number one, there's so much to learn from what you've shared. You've had great life experiences and given back so much to the customer experience community. Was there a turning point in your life, either professionally or personally, that changed the trajectory of your career or at least how you approach your career? So sort of, Um, I think one of them I talked about, I think they think that first turning point of, you know, <laughs> complaining about how we treated people and that leading me to what is now voice of the customer and customer experience um, was the first turning point. Um, um, the next one I think is is more personal. Um, in, in 2011, I was diagnosed with a chronic disease. Um, you know, not all rosy, not all perfect, but um, obviously it's way past 2011 and then I'm still here and things are good. Um, that said, I think it, it, that did change my outlook. Um, on life and work. It um, reminded me that life is short. It reminded me that that um, not as it, it's not only is it just short, but the time that we have here, let's enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means enjoying it at work as well as enjoying it professionally, uh, personally. Um, so I think I take more joy out of what I do. I think that it, it, it inspired me to try for some things um, or to put myself out of my own comfort zones to apply for a job where I knew speaking on big stages um, and, and uh, this is my, my time at a confirmment. I spent six years there and it was wonderful webinars and stages and, and talks and thought leadership, which so stepping out of my comfort zone of, you know, client customer man- uh, or consult- consultation and, um, you know, project management into this world of being um, considered some kind of a thought leader or a subject matter expert on this topic. You know, that's what I wanted, putting that out there in the universe and then seeing what came um, and, and working on myself to get there as well. I think it put me, I'm, I'm you know, still continue to be nervous when it comes to public speaking, um, but I got way more reward from putting myself out and stretching myself in that than, than I, than any kind of um, uh, deterrent for doing so. Um, I actually very much enjoy that I did that. Um, And I think it's caused me to do some other things. So I think personally and professionally, it has definitely um, pushed me out of um, that, that comfort zone also made me start to examine what is that I do want to accomplish and within boundaries. So my accomplishments aren't all, professional. What I'm trying to do mm. isn't always professional. So I, I did need to also say to myself, okay, what's the balance that I want to create mm-hmm. um, with that? Because um, as much as I love what I do and I do love my job, um, I work to live. Mm. I don't get to work. So um, that work to live is yeah. what can I do with my family, my loved ones, my kids, my, you know, how do, how do I strike that huge balance? And um in a way that makes sense for everyone. So where I'm rewarded professionally, but I still have the time that I need and want um, to do the things that I want to do personally. Mm. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being so vulnerable to share 
um, that on that personal level. And we're grateful that you are still here and doing well. Uh, and, and two is just a reminder to all of us, really, we get caught up in the day to day. I know I do. And just how life, how short life is and how quick it can pass us by. We could wake up, you know, one day and, and realize so many years have passed us by and you're just asking yourself, how can I number one, get joy out of, out of what I'm doing. Um, and you're making a choice to do that. Absolutely. I, I, not all days are great. Mm. We all know that, yeah, yeah. but that, but we don't have to live as though. I think that there is, there can be a great part of every day, even though not all days are great. Um, so I think that you have to find that joy. Um, and as you said, create that joy in some cases. Well, on that note, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the delighted customers podcast today. You bring so much wisdom from all that experience and uh, just grateful to serve on the board with you and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. It's great being uh, connected to you as well. And thank you for this opportunity. All right. Thanks, Stacey. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. And you can find those on my website, empoweredcx.com. And remember, when we serve others well, we make a difference in the world.